of technical difficulties. Give me just a sec. Play a beat real quick. Okay. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Adam Schlett on drums this morning. Sorry about that. We got a little modern.
Thank you. 
Sunday. Yeah. Wow. You like that song. You know, you know what's great about that song is it speaks the truth as well. I mean, the, it, the music is good. I mean, you guys rock that song. But, but it's just so true. You know, at our, at our most difficult moment of life, death, uh, you can't, if you are a child of God, that body's not held down. We get to be resurrected with Christ and uh, into the next life. And that's the real life, man. That's where it gets good. And uh, I, mean, I am so glad you enjoyed that song. Um, last week's resurrection service, that just set us off. And we had a wonderful time. I guess now it's in the, uh, now it's in the circle of songs. Um, But I, I, I just want to remind you, what made last week awesome is, is you. you. You came to celebrate. You came to rejoice. And um, the truth is, uh, when you set that tone, man, it's, it's sure fun to be up here. And, and uh, it makes it light. And that is why we gather. We don't just gather for preaching. We gather to actually remind each other that it is well with our souls. We remind each other that God is good. And we do that through song and through the word. And I encourage you, um, you know, things have changed. Things have changed. They, uh, they are going to continue to change as the world gets um, more depraved, and it will, uh, and as we get closer to the return of Christ. And we're going to need this more than we ever have. But I, I want to remind you that it is not a program. Say stuff you already know. It's not a program. It's the gathering of God's believers. And uh, so I, I just am always amazed over the past year, uh, until Chad said it last week, I had forgotten that last Easter this room was empty uh, for about three months, uh, we, we, or maybe even more. We just were doing it all online, and, and uh, you know, the worship team would leave, and then they would sit out there and make faces at me underneath the cameras that you couldn't see. But uh, coming together and reminding each other God is so important to see each other, to shake each other's hands, and as, and as more of you get shots to touch each other. Uh, those are very, very important things. And uh, I want to encourage you. I, well, first of all, you've encouraged us by staying engaged online. But second of all, uh, it's good to have so many of you. Each week, people come back that we haven't seen for a while, and, and there's still some folks that are being very careful, and, and that's fine. Um, I want to remind you, as you are uh, sometimes because of sickness or you're just staying home or whatever, I want to remind you, you don't have to watch it on your phone. If you, you can watch it on a computer, or if you have uh, Apple TV or Roku, uh, we have a channel. If you go to the store, uh, the Apple store um, on your Apple TV or your Roku TV, if you'll go to the stores and just Google or Google, search for Carpenter's Way Digital Campus, Carpenter's Way Baptist Church, you'll see, a, you'll see our app. Just download it. It's free. And then every Sunday when we start at 930, you'll see the countdown and you can watch us on your TV in real life. I do warn you again that we're not that heavy. We haven't gained weight over this last year. It's just the wideness of your TV makes us look fatter. So, um, but uh, with all that said, we are, um, we're, we're, thank you. Last week was so much fun. Um, it, it was fun and it should be fun. We should have fun celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And uh, um, I, many of you, um, you, you shouldn't be afraid to clap. You shouldn't be afraid to stand. You shouldn't be afraid to sing out. You shouldn't be afraid to sit quietly sometimes. Um, sometimes some of our churches are so conservative, they don't allow you to express during worship. Some churches are so rowdy, they get on your case if you don't express yourself. Sometimes you just need to sit and take it in. 
and uh, we hope you feel comfortable doing all of that. But uh, you've really blessed us as a staff this past year and a, and, and a church. And uh, thank you for staying with us. And uh, I, I just want to make it clear that weird things are going to happen in the future. And uh, we are not trying to maintain a program style as much as our task, which is to disciple you. So we're going we're gonna to do everything in our power within whatever means we have whether it's digitally, whether it's in this building, whether it's Bible studies, we're going to do everything in our power to fulfill our task however we have to do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? We are not here to maintain a Western style of worship, and I want to be clear on that. I love Sunday mornings, just like you do, but the truth is if we have to do this Saturday night, Thursday evening, Tuesday afternoon, or in the middle of the night, we will still do this. We will still do this in whatever means we can. And so as the world gets weirder, we will pivot following our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that kind of that fits into what I want to share with you this morning. Um, and uh, so uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, some things I want to share with you. Father, thank you that this body can't be held down now that we're children of the King. Thank you that Satan has, no, uh, he has nothing left on us but his loud mouth. Uh, that he may try to discourage us and he may lie to us. And at times he may convince us, but the fact is he is a liar. And uh, we will live forever, those of us who have called on the name of the Lord. And our hope is not found in this life, it's found in the next. So we commit our time to you. We realize that to, to, uh, for us to know your will, we have to be changed in the way we think. And I pray this morning that as we, we move into Acts chapter 11, we would truly... Um, continue the process of transformed thinking uh, as the new church needed to. So we commit our time to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, before we jump into Acts chapter 11 this morning, I want to uh, kind of take you to a passage in Isaiah chapter 43 that, that the Lord brought across my desk this week. And, and I think it really speaks to what our friends in Acts are struggling with. Uh, in, in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 15, it says, I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. And I, I pause for a second because I, wa I want you to remember that a prophet, a biblical prophet, didn't just get up and preach. That's, that's not prophecy, not biblical prophecy. Biblical prophecy is when a man or a woman says, thus saith the Lord. That's King James, but it basically says, God says this to you through me. And at times, I mean, they were literally taken over and they spoke on behalf of the Lord. They didn't say, I think the Lord has this for us, uh, the reason, or, or I, I believe this is going to happen. They said, God is speaking. I am speaking on behalf of the Lord. So in this case with Isaiah in chapter 43, it, it's, he starts with, I am the Lord. Now, they don't hear the Lord's voice. They hear Isaiah's writing. They hear him teaching, and he is speaking on behalf of the Lord. So as you hear somebody today say that I am prophesying, it is cheap to say, I'm not a prophet, but I am going to prophesy. That's a weaseling out of responsibility. We know that a biblical prophet, according to the, according to the standard of prophecy, was you had to be 100% accurate, not 98, not 96, not 95, because if you are prophesying, you are speaking on behalf of the Lord, and he's never wrong. And that's, that's what you get in this first section right here. I am the Lord. And Isaiah's voice, Isaiah's fingers as he writes these prophecies. But this is the Lord speaking. I am the Lord, your Holy One, Israel's creator and king. I am the Lord who opened the way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. And you know what he's talking about? The Israelites being uh, delivered from Egypt. 
I called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses. Now pause, because I want you to understand what he's saying. I'm the one who told them to follow you. If you remember, when the Israelites left Egyptian slavery territory, they were sent away from Pharaoh. If you remember later in that evening, Pharaoh, the next morning, Pharaoh realizes there's gone, and he hardens, hardens his heart again, and, and he sends all of the armies of Egypt to chase them to the Red Sea, corner them, and kill them, or bring them back. And, and here it's saying, I, the Lord, called forth the mighty armory of Egypt with all of its chariots and horses. That's a weird truth. You mean you sent the armies to kill your children? I drew them beneath the waves and they drowned their life snuffed out like smoldering candle wick. No, I didn't call them to defeat you. I called them out so I could defeat them. And it scared you. But forget all that. It is nothing compared to what I'm going to do. For I am about to do something new. See, it's already begun. Don't you see it? This is the Lord speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the Hebrew people whose nation has been decimated, who are not in the Holy Land anymore, that are under captivity of other nations who feel unworthy of that, who are crying out for God to deliver them. You know, I actually think most of us today, those who are really God's kids, and I emphasize that, not church-going Christians, but children of God, whose lives are being affected by the presence of the Holy Spirit, how do I know I'm really a child of God? Not by walking an aisle or being baptized, but the Scripture tells us because the Spirit is working in us. The fruit of the Spirit is presence, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. If, if, if you don't have an inclination of those things, you may in fact not be saved, no matter how many times you've been to church, because that, according to the New Testament, is the, is the sign, it's the signature post of the Holy Spirit's presence, and Romans teaches us that the difference between a saved person and an unsaved person is not a lack of church attendance, but it is the presence of the Holy Spirit, according to Romans 6, 7, and 8. I actually think most of us who are really God's kids don't struggle with sin as much as we struggle with this truth that I just read. This, the idea that God is doing something new, something we don't anticipate, and really we can't even fathom what he's doing. I mean, and by that I don't mean that we don't see it. I mean, we can't imagine him working in our present circumstances. We, we simply can't imagine that God is working intentionally when things we feel... They just feel so out of control, like the Hebrew people must have been when they're standing at the edge of the Red Sea, two million of them plus their cattle and wealth that they've been given, and they're standing, and they hear the Egyptian forces coming. They, had, they were wondering, what, actually, I'll tell you what they said. They said to Moses, you brought us out here out of, out of Egypt to die? They were freaking out because in their mind, they couldn't fathom that that was God who sent that army. We like our lane, especially in Western Christianity. We have figured out how to drive in it with its difficulties, health sickness and, and job complications and working politically with people in a country that's, that may not be as spiritual as it should be, but we call it a Christian country. It makes us feel good about ourselves, makes us feel a little safer. And, and then when we, when we lose any semblance of Christianity, we begin to to freak out. We've learned to live in the lane of, of what, we, what, what we're comfortable with, even though it's not perfect. But man, now that it seems like the rails have come off, we begin to panic. We can't stay in our lane. We figured out how to drive in it, even if the road is rough. 
But when every other driver seems to be making up new rules or, or want to simply say there aren't rules, it's so frustrating. It's frustrating. You sort of start feeling, if you'll all just do the right thing, we can all just live it out. I promise, I won't get in your face about God. We kind of say that. We'll even let them run society as long as you don't take away or make me uncomfortable with my value system. And this isn't just true of mediocre Christians, but it's true for us who know God and walk with God. We're not, uh, some think that uh, I have had to move away from the media, as I've told you, some semblance of media, because it is overwhelming to me and it makes me mad. And mad is not a fruit of the Spirit, especially mad at unbelievers who are living their set of values. It doesn't do me any good. And so I have to, I have to take every thought captive. I have shared with you in the past that I am very conservative. Actually, I'm more politically conservative than Jesus Christ, and that's a problem. Because first he told me I should seek God's kingdom, not my own. And see, I want my own. That's my lane. And if, it, if, I can get this, if I can get this country, if I can get this community, if I can get this church to do it within the lines that I'm comfortable with, we'll be just fine. Thank you, Jesus. Which is pretty much what Laodicea said, and we're going to start studying Revelation on Wednesday nights here pretty quick. But that's what they said. They told the Lord that they, they had everything they needed, and thank you for your willingness to help us. But probably Smyrna that's broke needs help. And the Lord said, you are rich. You think you're rich, but you are actually poor. You are wretched, blind, naked. You have no idea how lost you are. Even though we know from our study of Scripture that God rarely does the usual or the easiest route to accomplish His purposes, we still struggle in our hearts and souls in trusting Him with His plan when we feel unnerved. Honestly, um, and this is just truth, at least my truth, what's true to me, my truth, I hate that phrase, what's true to me, honestly, I'd rather have God do it my way. My way is actually more efficient than his. And since, I, and, and I know you're laughing, but, but just take a break for a second. The truth is, my way's cleaner. It really is. It's cleaner. Just put these people in office. Just do it this way. Come on, knock it off. Come on, you know, give us enough money to do what we need to do. Just do it that way. Keep us healthy until it's time to take us home and then send a letter and say, I'm taking you home. This is my will. That's not random cancer. If God would just communicate with me the way I want, the truth is I would have a better life. But what if that isn't his goal? I mean, what if his goal is not to make our life easy? What if actually before the Hebrew people rebelled when they got across the Red Sea, God said, I'm going to take them the long route, not the short route. Actually, he did say that. I'm going to take them the, the, the long route. And anybody with a map back then, both of them, probably are going, uh, we should be taking a right here. If you've seen the chosen, that was a, that's, a, that's a question that they always present there to the disciples. You know, Lord, this is the quickest way to where you told us we're going. And his response to them is, if every time I tell you where we're going to go, you want to wrestle with me over it, we're both going to be incredibly frustrated. And we know this. We know this in our heads. We know that God doesn't do things efficiently. That's not a slam on God. The truth is, if we were to sit down and speak for a half hour, I could convince you, you don't want a God that does everything you want because that makes you God. I want a God who does his own thing. I want a God that when I pray, sometimes says, no, honey, I'm not going to do it that way because that's the kind of dad I had. That's the kind of dad I want. 
I, want my, I don't want a dad who just does what I want him to do. That means he's got no plan. I want a God that's in charge, but I just don't like what it means that he's in charge. You see, I want him in charge as long as he charges my way. And I'm not just talking about the world. Well, I'll get there in a second. We all amen this concept. In fact, we know verses that talk about it. Proverbs 3, 5 through 7. Trust in the Lord with half of your heart, right? It's all your heart. And do not depend on your own understanding. Maybe we should memorize that part. Don't depend on what you think is right. I mean, it's, that's clear. Is there anybody who doesn't understand that sentence? Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek His will in all that you do, and He'll show you which path to take. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Uh, it looks like uh, Solomon is doubling down on that. And he was full of wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Or Jeremiah 17, 7, we all know this to be true. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and their confidence. I mean, it's, it, we know these. We amen them. We memorize them. We put them online when we've run out of options. But the problem is, right now we can sense, every one of us, that the world is no longer driving in the lane we're accustomed to. Our comfort zones have been shattered and it doesn't look like they're coming back. We can sense that God is doing something new. And some are even convinced that the changes that we're seeing in our world, in our country, even in our community, are a sign that the Lord is coming back. That's what we hear. Why? Because we panic. Okay? And I'm, I'm going to take a shot at that for a second. If you, if you think... If you are convinced that because of Biden's presidency and stuff that's being done right now, that that proves that God is coming back, you haven't studied enough history. Like, for instance, there's this little thing called the Holocaust or the slavery thing. You see, today the world is not as evil as it's been. It has been way more evil. Have you read the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? We have a short memory. I mean, the truth is, evil has always been around, and sometimes the world has been more evil. But if you think that just because our lane is being diverted, that the world is coming to an end, how selfish have we become? How self-absorbed? Because for that to be true, we have to believe that God really wants it our way. And I remind you that even in the Old Testament, the Jewish people, God said, I'm not on your side. The question is, are you on mine? And that's a very difficult self-deprecating. You thought struggling with sin was a problem in the churches you grew up in. Stop sinning. That is nothing compared to actually looking in the mirror and going, I am really self-absorbed. Because A, I know God is making all things new. B, I know he's got a plan for the world. C, I, I, I believe that I should not lean on my own understanding unless it affects me negatively. That's scary. And again, even though I've said a lot about politics... I'm not really just talking about politics. One more, one more passage of Scripture before we get into Acts 11. Um, Isaiah 46, and I'm actually going to go through verses 1 to 10 because I want you to see the context of what he's saying here with the Lord. Bel and Nebo, the gods of Babylon, bow as they are lowered to the ground. They are being hauled away on ox carts. Now, he's about to be funny. I mean, Isaiah thinks he's a funny guy. The poor beasts stagger under their weight of these false gods. Both the idols and their owners are bowed down. The gods can't protect the people, and the people cannot protect the gods. They go off into captivity together. This is such a practical text. You understand what he's saying, right? 
I mean, we have to lower gods on the carts. I, I remember a few years ago, I was in a store in Dallas. I think it was either Dallas or Houston. This big store. And they had a whole segment of gods. From Buddha to just, just these things that have become cute, you know, now that the world is self-absorbed a little bit more. And, and half of them were on sale, 75% off. And I, I said to Julie and my kids, if your God has to go on sale, that ain't much of a God. And, and the truth is, I mean, that, that's the truth. That's what's being said here. They go off into captivity together. Your God can't even get off the stupid carts to, to save themselves from captivity. Listen to me, descendants of Jacob, all of you who remain in Israel. I have cared for you since you were born. Yes, I carried you before you were born. I will be your God throughout your lifetime until your hair is white with old age. I made you and I will care for you. I will carry you along and save you. See what he did right there? Do you see that? You don't? Well, let me repeat it. False gods get carried away in war. I have been carrying you forever. To whom will you compare me? Which God is my equal? Some people pour out their silver and gold and they hire a craftsman to make a God from it. Then they bow down and worship it. Some of these people had done that. I was just reading this week. After Solomon dies and his boys take the throne and the nation is beginning to split, do you realize that the t there, there, are 12 and, uh, there are 12 tribes of Israel, they separate, 10 go one way, 2 go another way, and the 10 actually hire false priests to take all the gold in the nation, and guess what they make? Anybody remember? Gold calves. And they say, these are our deliverers. We're back at Exodus, when 3,000 of them were swallowed up by the ground. This is how dumb God's people can get. And don't think it's just the Jews either. Uh, some, pair, uh, some people pour out their silver and gold and hire craftsmen to make a God. Then they bow down and worship it. That is so stupid. Why would you ever worship something you just made? They carry it around on their shoulders. And when they set it down, it stays there. It can't even move. And when somebody prays to it, there's no answer. It can't rescue anyone from trouble. Don't forget this. Keep it in mind. Remember this, you guilty ones. Remember the things I have done in the past, for I alone am God. I am God, and there is none like me. Only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I want. See that? That's our God. This is true. And since we know it's true, why in the heck do we struggle so much with his new and unusual ways? Why does every time something in our lives, especially, and especially difficult here in a democracy or a republic, uh, 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 it, it's very difficult for us when something goes away we don't think it should. It's very difficult for us to think that God's still in control. And I've heard that. The reason why, the reason why this person is elected, I heard this especially with Obama, the reason why Obama was, and, and again, I know that there are many of you that are Democrats, that's fine. Bear with me. The predominant evangelical movement is conservative. So I talk to that a lot more. But the truth is, one of the things that I heard when Obama was elected and I was here in East Texas was the problem was the church didn't rise up, to which I responded, or God voted. I mean, the truth is, God does what he wants. Well, how could God ever want fill in the blank? I don't know. How come in the Super Bowl, every time somebody scores, somebody points up into heaven and goes, you love me, man. God's rooting for the Green Bay Packers and not 
for the Vegas Raiders. Have you seen the Raiders? They are wicked inside and out. We all know. As a Charger fan growing up, the Raiders, we knew that they watered their field and practiced on it before the Chargers would lose to them every time. So except for the Raiders and Dallas, God's a Dallas fan, which doesn't explain the cheerleaders, okay? But <laughs> the truth is we have, we have a thing where when good... We have a thing, and, and I'm just being silly, but, but we have a thing that says when good things happen, that's God being good to me. When bad things happen, oh, oh, we need to pray harder. And then we go and we buy a book. We buy, we buy a new book, and, and that book tells us how to pray better. Because surely we're just not doing our part because God wants what we want. Oh, no, I don't mean that. I mean, we want what God wants, but certainly God wants the same things we want. And, and, and the truth is, I'm in line with God and the rest of the world isn't, so I need to figure out how to pray. Pray the blood of Jesus on it. It'll happen. How is that any different than witchcraft? How is it any different than witchcraft? How are our, our modern-day prophets talking about the return of the Lord any different than psychics that on New Year's Eve get on TV and tell you what they believe is going to happen the next year. They're both wrong. And we won't know which one was right until we get to heaven. And then nobody's going to care. It's weird, it's, it, it, but it, it shows that what's going on underneath is not that we're running away from God, but we're running, we, we've put God in our box. We, we've made God look like we like a good American. And we all know he's not, but we kind of like him as an American with American music and American... And, and it's a struggle, isn't it? It's not new. This is why I love Acts. Because Acts exposes our feelings and historical characters that we respect. There's not probably anybody who grew up in the church that at one point or another hasn't said, make the church. We want to be like the church in the New Testament. Well, congratulations. You are very much like them. Acts chapter 11 I want to remind you what happened in Acts chapter 10. God called Peter through a vision. He gives him a vision of food and says, and there's a lot of food on there that's forbidden, and God says, eat. And Peter says, what does he say? No way. I would never, I would never eat that food. I'm a good Jew. And the Lord three times, three more times says, what I make clean is clean. Eat it. Three times. How interesting is that? Peter, again, was like we talked about. He learns in threes, right? So three times the Lord tells him to eat. And then he wakes up from the vision the third time with a guy knocking on the door, a, a, a Republican, a, a Roman, a Roman, uh, a Roman servant saying, God told our master, guy's name is Cornelius, he is a Roman officer who's seeking God. He's been seeking God, and God told him in a dream to send us to come get you because you need to minister to this guy. And his response is, I have never been in a Roman home. God is telling me to go, so I'm going to go. And he goes over, remember, and he ministers to this guy. And as he listens to the Roman officer explain about the vision that he had and about coming and getting him, he says to that Roman officer, before I start, I want to make it clear, I have never been in a Roman home. It sounds like a Baptist drinking their first beer. <laughs> I want to make it clear, I don't drink except to witness to you today whom God has shared with me. I mean, you know what he's doing. He's out of his comfort zone, so he's explaining it away to everybody and anybody who would listen. And long story short, he, he, Cornelius repents. He gets saved. The Holy Spirit is evidence there. And the story ends, and we end it, and we go into Easter, and we're all high-fiving because it's a happy ending to the story, right? <laughs> Not so fast. Acts 11, verse 1. 
Soon the news, news reached the apostles and the other believers. Notice that it's the apostles and the other believers. In Judah, the Gentiles had received the word of God. But when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem believers criticized him. You entered the home of the Gentiles and ate with them, they said. They weren't happy with Peter, even though people got saved. Because he was not towing the Jewish Christian line. Now, now I'm going to say that. These aren't just Hebrew people. These are Hebrew followers of Jesus. He's not towing the line. He left his lane. He had not stayed in his lane. The lane is that as a Jew, and let me try to explain this, it was not that they were opposed to Gentiles getting saved. It's just that the Gentiles needed to move towards Hebrewism, Judaism. He need, they needed to move that way. So in other words, yes, you can be saved by Jesus, but you've got to be circumcised. And as soon as we can, we need to make sure that you understand the laws, like the Ten Commandments. You need to memorize those. You need to understand them. So while the Hebrew people weren't afraid of, of the Gentiles being saved, they were afraid of Gentiles being saved. Again, well, let me say that again so you understand. They were not afraid of Gentiles being saved. They were afraid of Gentiles, neck deep, all the way down to the boots being saved. Why? Because up to now, even in the Old Covenant, a Gentile could become a Jew, but they have to be alienated in. There was a process. They had to be circumcised. They had to go into the temple area. They had to be examined. And once all of that was done, then they would be approved and consider a, a Gentile Hebrew. They were never allowed in the innermost place of the Holy of Holies. They were not allowed in the innermost. There was a courtyard in the temple area called the courtyard of the, courtyard of the Gentiles. We had a story just a few weeks ago where the Ethiopian, who had become an alienated in Jew, was worshiping in the temple, but he didn't know Jesus yet. And on the way back, you remember, Philip ministered to him and he got saved. Well, the Jews still thought that was the process. Yes, a Gentile can be saved, but why didn't you bring him back to Jerusalem? What, what else happened? We want to know. Actually, what were you doing in his house? You should have brought him to your house. He, uh, Peter, by the authority of God, had been, well, he'd done something morally unacceptable to the rest of Jewish Christendom. I want to remind you, as I said two weeks ago, that while Peter had a problem with racism, or not a problem with racism, Peter is a racist. He has struggled with Gentiles, if you call that racism. It's not just him. It's the whole Jewish church. And why not? It fit their Jewish ideals. You know, we, racism is a fact. It's, it's not a black-white thing or a brown-white thing. or It's just life. You're comfortable with who you're comfortable with. It's not acceptable, especially for a child of God. But it is part of the thing. And they were part of that problem. So when Peter arrived back in Jerusalem, the Jewish believers criticized him. You entered the home of the Gentiles and even ate with them, they said. I'll bet you had a shrimp. To which Peter said, have you ever deep fried a shrimp? <laughs> it's awesome. I added that because that, my Bible is going to be funnier. <laughs> then Peter told them exactly what had happened. Okay, I was in the town of Joppa. <laughs> I mean, I think Peter's mouth is dry. These are his people. Please understand, this is the church. These are the people he ministered to. He left them to go find out what was going on in other places, and God calls them to ministry. He's not having fun with this. Peter doesn't like Gentiles even more than they did. You entered, uh, they told, oh, let's see. I was in the town of Joppa, verse 5 says. 
And while I was praying, I went into a trance and I saw a vision, something like a large sheet was let down by its four corners of the sky. And it came right down to me. And when I looked inside the sheet, I saw all sorts of tame and wild animals, reptiles and birds. And I heard a voice say, get up, Peter, eat and kill them. No, Lord, I replied, I have never eaten anything that our Jewish laws, remember the standard, there it is, never have I eaten anything our Jewish laws have declared impure or unclean. But the voice from heaven spoke again. Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. This happened three times with the sheet, and all it contained was pulled back up into heaven. Okay, keep that in your brain, because I want to divert your attention to other things in Scripture that you are aware of. For instance, Romans 12, 2. I want you to look at this not as a verse, not as a verse that you memorized in, in 11th grade or at camp. I want you to actually read what it says. Don't copy the behavior and customs. That's not a slam term. Don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. Instead, or but, let God transform you into a new person. What's the next line say? By changing the way you think. That's very important. Let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. Now, the reason I love this verse uh, for this text is the, the reason that Peter didn't think he should go to Cornelius' house, the reason the Hebrew believers don't think he should have eaten with them is because their minds weren't transformed. They were still living according to the religious customs of their day, which there was nothing wrong with. They hadn't figured out how to take a Gentile and make him a Christian, but Peter actually went outside of what they had agreed upon and actually ate in their home. He was hanging out in their dirty environment. He went to their bar. And we know that you can't glorify the Lord. I remember growing up in the church, and I remember hearing, don't ever do ministry in a bar. And I remember hearing the answer why. What will ever other Christians think? Have you ever heard that? We should have slapped those people. Who cares what other Christians think? What God thinks is the only thing that matters. Well, God's a Christian. No, he's not. He's not American. He's not, actually, he's the most pro-drinking person I've ever seen in my life. There's a lot of drinking in the Bible. That's because the water's bad. Can we just stop? That is so dumb. And if I have one more person tell me that what Jesus did when he turned water into wine was Jesus juice so it was non-alcoholic, how dumb can you be? Stop it. And I mean it. We're trying too hard to do this. We're trying too hard to maintain what could be wisdom living. Look, I'm not a fan of drinking, but it's not a sin if you do it in moderation. And I don't have the right as a pastor to tell you it's a sin. So if you have a problem with alcohol, stay away from it. Stay absolutely away from it. But you cannot declare something unclean that God has declared clean. And I, I know this is an old joke, but I do worry about Baptist livers in heaven. There's a lot of alcohol at the marriage supper of the Lamb. A ton of it. Well, nobody will be drunk. I know. I understand that. But we will be enjoying the fruit of the vine. You know, the Shema says that. That's the Jewish prayer before every meal. Blessed are you, Lord our God. And it talks about the fruit of the vine. It's not talking about Welch's grape juice. I am not trying to encourage you to drink. I'm trying to make a point here that too often we have, we have sanctified things that are culturally important to us and, left, and that became 
our mandate. We amen that God is doing a new thing, but what we mean is he is going to rise up or return instead of work within the nastiness that it is. Do you realize that as the world gets darker, we're going to become lighter? See, sin doesn't work. It doesn't make you happy. You have to find new ways of sinning. Because eventually, and those of you who have participated in this know that I'm telling the truth, Playboy isn't enough. You need Hustler. And then from Hustler, it has to be something even more dramatic. Because you get bored of sin. Marijuana is never enough. It's, that's why it's called a gateway drug. It opens the door to, oh, Pastor, I've never done more than marijuana. <laughs> Thank you, my beach-going California friend. I grew up there around marijuana. I know exactly what happens to you. Sit around a fireplace giggling ridiculously at dumb things. I've been there. It never satisfied. The high becomes a low. The alcohol becomes a headache. The night of pleasure becomes adultery and self-destruction to your marriage. It's never enough. But what is enough is trusting in the Lord. But you realize to trust in the Lord, you have to have something that's fighting that, and that's you and me and them. So Peter tells this story, and it shouldn't shock us because the Lord has told us through Paul that, man, I'm going to have to transform you, but, but not just in how you deal with sin, actually how you see the world, the worldview. Acts 11.9, But the voice from heaven spoke again, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. This happened three times before the sheet and all it contained was pulled back up into heaven. Just then, three men who had been sent from Caesarea arrived at the house that we were staying. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not worry, what they, worry that they were Gentiles. Okay. <laughs> the reason he says that the Holy Spirit told him not to worry that they were Gentiles was because he was worried that they were Gentiles. I know it's funny, but, but we don't think about that. The fact is that Peter was like, I have never eaten a clam or eaten in a Gentile home ever. Well, God's saying, you should do both now. I don't know why anybody would eat a clam. I know some of you love them. They're disgusting, even with Tabasco sauce on them. They're gross. But you can. It won't keep you out of heaven because you don't have to be Hebrew to be saved. The Holy Spirit told me to go with them and not worry that they were Gentiles. These six brothers here, I'm not alone, and they're all standing way against the wall, <laughs> accompany me. And we soon entered the home of the man who had sent for us. He told us how an angel had appeared to him in his home and told him, send messengers to Joppa and summon a man named Simon Peter. He will tell you, uh, he will tell you how you and everyone in your household can be saved. As I began to speak, Peter continued, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as he fell on us at the beginning. So I want to pause there again, verse 15, the end. I want to explain. Some people ask me, so now are you, do you believe in tongues? First of all, I never not, did not believe in tongues. But I want to explain that what is happening here is God is revealing that the Holy Spirit has been giving, giving to other people that are not expected. Remember that the Jewish world believed that you became a Jewish Christian by becoming a Jew. That was part of it. And that's going to be a battle throughout the New Testament. The whole book of Galatians is written to that attitude, and Paul is fed up with it. The Jew among Jews says, who has bewitched you into believing these fools? Their Judaism didn't save them, and they're telling you to be more Jewish? That makes no sense. Circumcision doesn't save, save you. In fact, he says in Galatians, and if you want to know his spirit about this kind of lie, he said, I wish they'd take the knives with which they circumcise you and cut themselves up. 
Now, on a Wednesday night, I'll tell you exactly what he means by that, but I won't on Sunday morning because I am a classy guy. I mean, and, and again, now let me say this, as we're all going, yeah, those silly Jews, we struggle with the same thing. The church has always struggled. In the early 1900s, we would send missionaries to China, and they would come back, men with long braids and in Chinese clothes, and the church absolutely rejected them. We sent you there to bring Western Christianity, and instead you bring Chinese Christianity back. Because we like comfort, and we believe that America is the best country ever to live. Don't ever say that. There was a country whose king was God. Be very, very careful to lift up America over what God will and has done a long time ago in another nation. Just be careful. He's not an American. I would argue that Jesus really now in his glory is not even a Jew. He's God. So back to our story. Verse 16. Uh, then I thought of the Lord's words when he said, John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit. And since God gave these Gentiles the same gift he gave us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in, the, in God's way? That is a great question. When the others heard this, they stopped objecting and began praising God. Good for them. They said, we can see that God has also given the Gentiles the privilege of repenting of their sins and receiving eternal life. So two thoughts, and then I'm done, believe it or not. I'll probably be done at 10 after 11. Number one, it really is time for us to come to terms with this truth and live practically in it. In other words, God is not an American. He's God. And the question isn't whether our country is honoring him. It's whether I'm honoring him. There's a lot of us that would like to scream, come on, America. Well, maybe it should start with the body of Christ. Uh, one of my son's professors this week from Moody Bible Institute denounced his faith. We have Ravi Zacharias. We have Hillsong. We have lots and lots of our people that are falling. We have just as much as us watching inappropriate Netflix shows as the world. You go to a pastor's conference and they always say at that pastor's conference there's as much pornography rented as any other time of the year. It's sad. And that is because we are not deeply rooted in Jesus. We're deeply rooted in Christianity. There are, is a difference. Don't love Baptists. Don't love Assemblies of God. Don't love the church more than Jesus. And I promise you, and you know this in your heart, I promise you he is going to take you places you do not want to go or feel comfortable in because that's our God. He went places that he as a Jewish guy didn't feel comfortable in. I refer you to Matthew's party. That couldn't be fun. Why? Because the religious leaders were standing outside mocking him. Even his disciples wouldn't go in. How do you think he felt when he was with the Samaritan woman and his disciples come back and they're critically thinking of him? You spent a day with a woman, let alone that woman. God calls us and he came to us. How do you think he felt nine and a half months inside of Mary's womb, comes down the birth canal, is an infant for all that time, then 33 years later, we reject him and kill him? I'm not sure that the Holy Spirit and the Father were high-fiving each other that time. I think Jesus looked up into heaven and said, oh, I'm going to need your strength. Isaiah tells us he was a man of many sorrows. It's difficult because we all have comfort zones. 
And this verse is absolutely true, 1 Corinthians 1.25. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And God's weakness is stronger than the greatest of human strength. The foolish plan of God. God, do you realize that we could do this? He realizes it. The believers of First Church Jerusalem had no idea that this gospel, this good news, was going global at the time, despite the fact that Jesus told them it was going to go global. They didn't have any idea or any ability to put their minds around the fact that the gospel was going, was going global with no, and I mean zero, cultural connections to Judaism. None. And I, I want to warn you, I am, I, for those of you who are into Hebraic studies, that means you study the, the laws and the things, the culture of Judaism because you love it and it helps you understand the scripture. Something happens almost every time to somebody who does that. And I think you should. It's fun. And it helps you understand the scriptures. But after a while, periodically, we've had people in this church who have said, Pastor, we need to celebrate not just one of the festivals, but all of the Jewish festivals. To which I end up going, oh, that's interesting. You know, which ones would you like to do and how would you like to do it? And they're like, all of them. And we need to stop church and do this. I'm finally going, you realize we're not Jews. We're Gentiles. We are not a Jewish synagogue. It's okay. God loves Gentiles. He was going to bless us through his Jewish lineage. But you don't have to be a Jew to be honoring God. And my Jewish friends, you don't have to be a Gentile. You can keep the Sabbath. You can worship on Saturday. You can, you can, do, you can, you can do whatever you want as long as Jesus is your Savior. My Catholic friends, you can be Catholic as long as Jesus and not the Pope and your, and your catechism and the sacraments save you. None of those can save you. Just read Galatians. That's all you've got to read. My Baptist friends, agreeing to the Baptist faith and message will not get you into heaven. My charismatic friends, just because you're awesome at worship and you love it, you like, you know, you love what that last song, that doesn't make you a better Christian. It's because you like a flavor of music. Be careful. For those of you who are hymn people and wish we would do more hymns, good for you. For those of you who are chorus people and you want us to do more choruses, good for you. For those of us who like gospel music, that's more blues, good. But God isn't in any of that. We are. God is in the truth of the song. And there's a lot of Christian songs that are just joke. I refer to one that will probably get me a couple emails. If you cling to the old rugged cross, you're going to get splinters, not heaven. It is Jesus Christ you cling to. I will cling to the one on the old rugged cross. So change it. I love that song. I like the melody. It reminds me of my youth. I, I love singing it. Verse 1, 4, and 8. Stand on 1 and 2. Sit down on 4. I liked it. It was fine. But we do need to start asking ourselves, what did I just sing? The reason I love that last song isn't because it makes me move, and I can't move. I, I am so bad. I'm just so... I want to move. And then I watch on the internet some of these old ladies. I'm like, what do you like about these 95-year-old women dancing? I can dance better than that. And then I'm like, no, I can't. I really can't. The truth is that God's in the truth. He's not in the tone or the beat. or He's, he's in the truth. And we have to step back and go, what am I doing? Am I about Jesus or am I about fill in the blank? Acts 11 19 through 30 actually tells us what God is doing. So the next section of this passage. 
Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch of Syria. They preached the word of God, but only to Jews. Breathe in. Breathe that in. So they went to these communities, there were Gentile communities, and they preached only to Jews. What's that look like? Excuse me, are you circumcised? Maybe they look Jews, maybe they had Jewish clothes on. But they ministered only to the Jews. You think they have a racism issue? Verse 20, however, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus. The power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. And when the church in Jerusalem heard what had happened, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived and saw the evidence of God's blessing, which is why they sent him, you need to go check out what they're doing there, because these guys are out of line. But when Barnabas gets there and they see evidence of God's blessing, he was filled with joy and he encouraged the believers to stay true to the Lord. Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith. And many people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went on to, uh, to Tarsus and looked to look for Saul. And when he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church, Gentiles, for a full year. You think Peter was in trouble? <laughs> They taught large crowds of people. It was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians or little Christ. It was a mock word. During this time, some prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of, the, one of them named Agabus stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Holy Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. Now here, this is cool. So when the believers in Antioch, Gentiles, you want to know what the Lord was doing, his new thing? This was part of it. So when the believers in Antioch, Gentiles, decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters of Judea, guess who they were? They were Hebrew Christians that were questioning the Christianity of the believers in Antioch. Everyone was giving as much as they could. This they did, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas and Saul to take to the elders of the church in Jerusalem. Now, okay, look, I know that when you read this, it's like, oh, this isn't life-shaking. It is life-shaking. Because we have this going on right now. We're so busy trying to save our country, the question is, would we even consider reaching somebody who's on the other side of the aisle in our country? Are we so busy winning our wars that we're hurting the very people we need to be loving on and ministering to? I mean, this is a powerful text. How cool and crazy and humbling is the plan of God? These Jerusalem believers who are questioning the salvation of the Gentile believers, actually is supported financially by the very same Gentile believers who they are mocking and questioning. Man, God's got a great plan. You know what he's doing? He's working in stereo. Number one, he's sending the gospel to the end of the globe. And number two, he's training the believers in Jerusalem that it ain't about your heritage. It's about your Jesus. 1 Corinthians one twenty-five. The foolish plan of God is wiser than the wisest of human plans. And that's what that looks like. So number one, we should all decide this morning from this text to simply trust God rather than our own inclination and minister to anyone and everyone God puts in our path, no matter how low their pants are, are worn. We should decide that no matter what color their skin are or how many drugs you're sure they've been taking because their teeth are rotten or because they wear boots, shorts, and no shirt at Walmart late on Friday night. We should decide today 
that wherever God takes us, whenever he takes us, we will eat dinner with those people. Even if nobody else understands. Even if it's a dude dressed as a woman claiming to be a woman. Even if it's a woman dressed as a dude claiming to be a dude. If God puts you in contact with them and they're interested in the gospel, you give them Jesus. What will the church think? Probably that you've lost your mind and that you're a liberal. Well, I don't want to be looked at that. You have been crucified with Christ and you no longer live. Jesus said, uh, if anyone wants to follow me, you're going to have to put your selfish ambitions aside, pick up your cross and follow me. When do we say enough is enough, pastor? That's not for us to say. That's for the Lord to say. When he says enough is enough, we will all know. And not a minute before. Secondly, Isaiah 43, 19. I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? And the Hebrews did not. God is doing something new right now in the USA and the world. And you can feel it in your gut. You're either going to choose that we're losing or have lost or that God's at work. And maybe they're both true. And it's going to be bigger and better than we can ever possibly imagine. Just like what happened here in Acts 10 and 11. And my encouragement to you is enjoy the ride. These are exciting times to be alive. And we have been chosen in all of history to be birthed at this time as his children. You have been privileged to be a messenger of the gospel at such a time as this. And if it's true that the Lord is coming back sometime soon, then he has put the message of the gospel in our hearts and in our sweet spot at this time. What happens to the United States of America is not nearly as important as what happens to the people you come in contact with a hundred years from now. Go get them, family. No matter what they wear or what they claim or how they identify, no matter if you have to hold your nose to minister to them or it's easy, go get them because they need Jesus. They don't need more of the church. We have failed. Our Jesus never fails people. Ever, ever, ever. Give them Jesus. Does anybody remember how Jonah ends? We, we believe, and this is, this is the end here, we believe that Jonah actually, we, theologians, biblicists believe that Jonah wrote the book of Jonah, which is kind of weird. And in Hebrew, it's actually funny. It's a comedy. Uh, some of the phraseology, uh, some of the things that Jonah says are humorous and written in Hebrew in a humorous way. That's why they believe Jonah wrote it as a tongue-in-cheek. So Jonah isn't about a whale or a big fish. The story of Jonah is about a prophet that doesn't want to serve God where God wants him to serve, right? Remember? He gets there and they're slapping each other with fish. Oh, that's veggie tales. Um, but the fact is, God, uh, he goes there, eventually he's convinced to preach, he preaches, and, and the Ninevites repent, remember? Even the king. And so God doesn't destroy him, remember? He doesn't destroy him. And it's after that that we find Jonah sitting underneath that weird plant. And the plant dies. And then the sun is scorching him. And the end discussion is God asks Jonah a question. 
Why are you so mad about all this? You don't even, you have nothing to do with these people. You don't even know these people. I sent you to tell them. Why are you so mad? Do you remember what he said? Because I knew you to be a God who's gracious and merciful, and I knew you would redeem these people. The story ends. Go read it. So while we like to think about the big fish, the truth is it's about a man who was a spoiled brat Jew who didn't want the gospel to go to non-Jews who slapped each other with fishes because he frankly didn't like them. Even to the point at the end of the story saying, I knew you'd save them. I knew you would. Read it. I'm not making this up. I couldn't make this up. So a couple things. Number one, you're in good company. We all have prejudices. Get over yourself. You're not that perfect. Stop pretending you don't. It's okay. Number two, minister to people anyway. White, black, red, rich, poor, drug addict, people with teeth, people without teeth, people at Walmart late at night, people at Walmart in the morning, clean people, rich people, people who, who like wine, people who hate wine. If you have a brother that drinks and it's the only time you, and, and he makes fun of you, I want to I sit with you. I want to tell you about Jesus. Why don't you come to the bar with me on Friday night? Go with him to the bar on Friday night. Well, I hate alcohol. That's not the point. They serve Coca-Cola there. It comes out of the spray things, and it tastes terrible. I only know that from hearing from other people. But the, the truth is, we're, we're only here for a little while longer. Seriously. That, that song you like, did you listen to the words? Hey, death, death can't keep my body down? I mean, Johnny Cash knew what he was talking about. He was almost dead when he wrote the chorus of that. Then the worship leaders wrote the rest. Why? Because of the resurrection. It didn't end last week. It started last week. So go get them. Go get them. Ugly people, pretty people, lost people, fat people, skinny people, rich people, poor people, gay people, transgender people, people who are of color, people who are not of color, people you like, people you hate. Forgive them like Christ has forgiven you and go get them. Because at the end of the day, they don't need more religion. They need Jesus. Father, Send us out and make us keenly aware of the people you want us to minister to. Thank you for grace that forgives even our own prejudices and our own ideals and reaches people that we don't even like. And while we were your enemies, you sent someone to tell us about you. Thank you for their obedience. And now, Father, may we be obedient as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Bible study will start in about 10 minutes. Have a wonderful Sunday. Enjoy this gorgeous weather.